there was so true, the mystery of his awesome love for me, for you. You know, if you knew everything about me, you probably wouldn't love me. And if I knew everything about you, I probably wouldn't love you. But God knows everything about me and everything about you, and he loves us incredibly. Isn't that great news? And that's the message of the gospel. It really is. His incredible, mysterious love. Well, as Lori mentioned today, we are starting Proverbs. Last week we did, and uh, here we are, November 2nd, and so we're early in the month. And a great, great idea, not original with me, is that if you were to read one chapter of Proverbs every day, what a great help that would be. Every day of the month. So you could catch up chapter 1 and chapter 2 today, and that wouldn't be too much. And what a medicine it is to your soul. And I, I believe that it could change your life. And so if you're too crazy busy to read a proverb a day, you're too crazy busy. So I'm going to encourage you maybe to get something out of your life and substitute that. It might be, um, well, you might have to start at halftime or something today and just say, okay, I won't. I'll watch the first half, I'll watch the second half, but in halftime, I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 2, whatever it might be. Last week, we launched a study into the Proverbs, and the first sermon was on the introduction. And Solomon was saying, you need to get wisdom, you need to get knowledge, and how do you get that? It starts with the fear of the Lord. And if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you're not going to get knowledge and wisdom. And so there we are in this introduction. You need wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord will propel that. So where does he go? Where does Solomon go for the first topic? It's interesting. He goes to talk about the wrong crowd, about bad friends. And most of us have had bad friends at one time or another. I have. I'm sure you have. And right now, some of you might be sitting in this audience And you already now, at this moment, have bad friends. What are you going to do with those friends when you hear this word? Because the very fact that you are here right now and you're going to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed to you is going to be a challenge to you to decide whether you're going to be wise or foolish. And to wise would be to heed the word of God about wrong friends. To be foolish would say, ah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And go on down that wrong road. And so... I want you to understand that if you have bad friends right now, or if if you're moving in that direction, bad friends are never good for you. Never. N-E-V-E-R. Never good for you. And that's exactly the point of Solomon in our text today. So I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word right now. And if you need a Bible and you want to follow along, you don't have one. It's page number 527 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't have one in your home, by all means, take that home as our gift to you. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods, we shall fill our houses with plunder, throw in your lot among us, we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them, hold back your foot from their paths. 
For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. You may be seated. Most of us are going to meet up at some point in life with people who aren't good for us, people who want us to go with them, people who point us in the wrong direction of alluring forbidden fruit. And those people seem so cool and attractive despite their sorry ways. And Solomon is going to say to us today, you can't hang out with those kind of people. They can't be your friends. Why? Because they will pull you down. And so the big idea of our text is clear. Stay away from the wrong crowd. Don't choose bad friends. Spare yourself all kinds of trouble that will come with the wrong crowd. Now, it should be obvious but the big idea is then to stay away from the wrong crowd. And that this audience that we have in today's text is young people. In verse 8, my son, if you will, my daughter, my son, my children. Verse 10, he's speaking to youth whose hormones have kicked in in a new way. Youth who are not seasoned or experienced in the pitfalls of life. Now, that's not to say that older adults can have bad can't have bad friends. It's not to say that they're going to make mistakes. But the point that Solomon is making is very clear. In general, young people are more vulnerable. Young people are more susceptible to the wrong crowd and bad company. So, he's going to explain to us how it is that young people can stay away from the wrong crowd. And so I'm going to draw out four precautions from this text on what you need to do to stay away from the bad company. Precaution number one, listen to your parents concerning the wrong crowd. Now, if you're here as a young person today, you might be thinking, did mom and dad pay him to say that? No, I'm getting this right out of the text. Now, your mom and dad are probably happy I'm going to say it, but this is right out of the word of God. And so in verses uh, eight and nine, we see the subject of the wrong crowd launched by the influence of mom and dad in the home. And the presence of the mother and father are very strong in verses eight and nine. And they are there in the home to teach their children the wisdom of God for living life. You see, the primary arena, biblical arena for young people to learn the wisdom of God is in the Christian home. And the assumption in verses 8 and 9 is that mom and dad will be there to teach their children well the wisdom and the ways of God from the word of God. And as they do that, not only will they teach them the wisdom of the word of God, they will live that wisdom as role models before their children. And so we find that parents teaching their children is a repeated theme in Proverbs. Time and again, the, the father's speaking to the son about things that he has to do and consider in the wisdom of God. And it comes from the seedbed of the Mosaic Law. Back in Deuteronomy, it was given rise to this whole idea that the parents would be teaching the children wisdom in the home. These words 
which I'm commanding you, says Moses in Deuteronomy 6. Today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. It's been my experience and my observation that a lot of this is no longer happening in the Christian home. We're finding out in the average Christian home that very little teaching and modeling is going on about the wisdom of God. In fact, parents have come to understanding in the last 100 or 50 years anyway that that ought to go on in the church. That somehow we pay the youth pastor to run ministries so that their children can learn the wisdom of God and if need be, the church can fix their kids. That was never the biblical model. The Bible constantly puts this matter of raising the children in the ways of God squarely on the lap of mom and dad. Squarely on the lap that they would teach them the way that they should go so that when the children are older, they will not depart from it. The church can never take the place of the parent, but the church needs to be a partner. Yes, a partner in that. But in the mind of Solomon, in the mind of Scripture, the primary teaching venue for wisdom is in the home by the parent. It's the best lab of learning life anywhere in the world. It is in the home. Now, two words stand out in this connection. Verse 8 is instruction and teaching. And we saw last week the word instruction didn't mean getting more information that you teach your children, although that's involved. It means corrective discipline. That they would look at the word of God and the wisdom of God and they would begin to change some of the ways of their life. And the second word we see here is not just instruction, it's the word teaching. And that word in Hebrew is the word Torah. It's the word law. And so the mom and dad had the opportunity not only to correct their children in the right direction, but to teach them the word of God, the law, the wisdom of God. And there is no better curriculum for teaching children the law of God and corrective discipline than this wonderful book of Proverbs. And so I say to you parents, don't teach your children the wisdom of Oprah and other kinds of gurus out there. It may sound so good and palatable to 21st century worldly wisdom, but what we want for our children is not the wisdom of this world. We want the wisdom of God, and it comes through the home and the mom and dad. And we want our children to know if they walk out that front door to college, if we want them to know anything, is that the word of God is the wisdom of God, and moms and dads represent that wisdom of God. And for 17 or 18 years, they've done that. Now, if for some reason you find yourself a single parent, it wasn't that way back when Solomon wrote, but that's the reality today. If you find yourself a single parent, don't give up. Do the very best you can to teach your children the words and the ways of the wisdom of God. And then I believe that God's going to come around you some way to support you in ways that you can't even yet understand today. So don't think the job is too big if you're alone. Let God come under you and trust him to make up the difference. So this is what Solomon and Bathsheba are going to do here in teaching wisdom. They are saying to the children, the first thing we want to talk about in wisdom is your friends. We don't want you to run with the wrong crowd. And so 
Did you understand if you're, if you're a young person here, the uncanny knack your mom and dad have to spot the wrong crowd? You ever pick that up? In my home, we raised four kids, and they were always amazed that we could spot the people that weren't good for them. And so this is amazing ability that God has given us, the parents, a radar to spot the wrong crowd. Now, E.V. Hill was one of my favorite preachers. He's a black preacher in L.A. for 39 years in Mount Zion Baptist Church, I think it was. One of my favorite preachers of all time, and, and uh, uh, he dealt with this issue of spotting the wrong, wrong crowd. Now, maybe he did it in a different way than you will do it, but the point is it has to be done no matter how you do it. It may not be like he did it, but you've got to be there to help spot the wrong crowd for your kids. It might be a little hard for you to listen here, but listen up to this clip. Go ahead. And I want to drop a word, be careful who your children are mating up with. You can't get no racehorses out of mules. sitting here fell in love with something that knocked on my door once. <laughs> and he said, it no rules here. I said, here? Yeah. I said, not for you. <laughs> well, I'll come see it. You can't. You mean I can't say no? Amen. Who said so? I did. Amen. I'm her father. Amen. You don't even look like we can unless she goes crazy. We're going to try to give her to something that has some potential. You got to break up something. And all will come running down, was that for me? No. That wasn't for you at all. Well, wasn't that so-and-so? Yes. Well, why did, why did you run him away? I said, because he wasn't for you. And she looked at me and she said, well, I think he's a nice poison. And I said, go get your mother. I want to ask her a question. I have never had no doubts before. But I, I, I want to know now, are you really mine? Now, that may not be your style at all, but it makes a point that parents are very, very influential and need to be on the firing line of the children, of our children's friends. And you see the wrong crowd, the stakes are high. There is such a potential to destroy our children when they get with the wrong crowd. And verse 9 says something very interesting. And that the wrong crowd will hurt you, mom and dad will be good for you. Look at verse 9. It says, if a young person will embrace their parents' discipline and law, it will be a graceful wreath to their head and a beautiful pendant on their neck. Now, what's the number one thing young people want today? They want to look good. 
And so it says here that if you're willing to listen to your mom and dad's instruction, even though other people out there won't understand what you really look like, you will look good in God's eyes and you will be a very wise person and you will be adorned with the kind of character that you should. And I just want you to know that there is no better way to adorn yourself as a young person than with the wisdom of God and to embrace the biblical teachings of your mom and dad and to display them. Because the word of God says it will be a beautiful wreath on your head. It will be a dazzling ornament on your neck. And so you need to wear the wisdom of God with pride. And sometimes people might mock you for having the wisdom of God displayed. And they would see the difference in character in your life. And sometimes you may feel awkward about that. But God says that those who adorn themselves with the wisdom of God, those who embrace their parents' teaching will be people of beauty in heaven's eyes. And so Solomon is saying, biblical instruction needs to come from moms and dads, and it will be good for their children, but the wrong crowd won't. Let's move to precaution number two, where Solomon says to his son, deafen your ear to the wrong crowd, verses 10 through 14. Now let's be honest, the wrong, the wrong crowd makes noise. It has invitations. They are obvious. They are not shy. And they make themselves known. And they have a certain appeal. In fact, Solomon acknowledges that. He uses a word that says something is alluring because of bait. They, the word is enticement. They will entice our children to go with them and try to suck them in to do evil. In fact, Solomon isn't shy to call the wrong crowd what they really are. He calls them sinners. Verse 10 says, when sinners entice you. Now, I know our kids will be kids, and I know our kids will do some things that they shouldn't do. I understand that. But there's a crowd out there who wants to suck our kids in. And the Word of God says, steer clear, stay away from them. And Proverbs calls them sinners to understand why it's so important to do that. Now, this category of people called sinners are people who, whose wrongdoing has become habitual. And a matter of reputation. You will know who they are. They're going to be fruitful. And they're, they're going to be evident by their own fruits. And when parents see the wrong crowd trying to connect with their children, there needs to be some warning talk in the air. You see, it's hard for most young people to turn a deaf ear to the enticement of the wrong crowd. Those of you who are older know what I'm talking about. We were pulled in ourselves at some point, I'm sure, at different points along the way. But what the wrong crowd has to say to us is so enticing. But we have to turn this deaf ear to what I'm calling the three P's of the wrong crowd. When they speak to us, what do we have to do? Turn a deaf ear to these three P's. The first P is pressure. Verses 11 through 14. They're going to say, come with us. And all the way through these verses, we're seeing this language, come with us, 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 and we, 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 join us. You're going to have a great time. You're going to be part of something that other people won't get involved in. And do you understand the power of peer pressure? It sucks people in, and people follow the peer pressure, and the wrong crowd can have such incredible pull. But there's a second P that we have to put our ear against. It's the, it's the P of plunder in verse 13. 
They say, we shall find all precious goods. We'll fill our houses with plunder. And these people know what they have in mind. They know that they're going to go and rob people and get what they want. And if the process happens that they hurt somebody along the way, ah, who cares? We got what we want. We're going to have a good time. And it says in here in very strong terms that sometimes people die because of this. And they don't even care. The worst case scenario is portrayed in these verses. That there are times where people will go to rob somebody of something and kill them in the process. You might say, well, that really doesn't happen. Well, let me tell you what happened. My wife's nephew listened to this kind of thing about plunder and peer pressure. And one night he went to rob a house. Except something went wrong and the owner of the house got up in the middle of the night and came at him with a gun and shot him dead in the hallway. Now, that doesn't always work out that way. It's more often the other way. When, when they go in, the victim is the one who gets hurt. And that's what Proverbs is talking about here, is that often when they go in to rob some, somebody's going to get hurt. And you say, well, what, you know, what happens? I, let me tell you what can happen. I grew up with a bunch of boys in the neighborhood, many of them I went to church with. We played and had good times, and we finally grew up and went our separate ways. And one of those boyhood friends that I went to church with went to a town in Pennsylvania and was living there. And one night he threw a party. And at that party, his friends came, but some of his friends invited some of their friends. And those friends that they invited were undesirables. And they came in and they cased the apartment. And they saw some things in the apartment that they wanted. And they did what Proverbs said here in this plunder. They came back in the middle of the night and they robbed the victim, say, we don't care, to the point that they killed my friend at the point of a knife. Those things happen. Just read the paper. This plunder always comes in the process of hurting somebody else to get it. But here's the third P that they said, turn your ear to the deaf level. It's the purse, verse 14. This is the carrot that's dangled in front of them. Come and you can have what we get. We'll split it equally. We'll all have one purse. Now, you and I have seen enough movies that when these guys leading the charge, they go and they steal something and all these new recruits come in and say, we're going to have one purse. What often happens? They don't want to give up their purse. They're going to find ways to plot against the people that went and robbed with them. It's an incredible thing here. And Solomon is saying... I'm not talking about criminals and bank robbers that you don't hang out with. We already know that. He said, son, I'm talking about turning a deaf ear to people who aren't good for you, who tell you that you can have a lot of fun and get some pretty good stuff by doing things you shouldn't do. And Solomon is saying, turn a deaf ear, son. Turn a deaf ear to those who say, take from your parents and shoplift and steal things at school and work. Don't accept invitations from people who tell you to be immoral and do illegal things from drugs to theft to sex. Turn a deaf ear, son. It'll hurt you. But what else does he say? He leads us to precaution number three. Not only does he say, understand your mom and dad's role there. Not only does he understand that we have to turn a deaf ear, he goes one step further. Don't hang out with them. Refuse that crowd, verse 15. They're the wrong crowd because they do the wrong things. That's why they're the wrong crowd. And Solomon says, stay completely away from those kinds of friends. Don't hang out with them. Don't go where they go. Don't do what they do. And he's strong about this. Because he knows something his children probably don't. 
It is something that has picked up in the New Testament as well. But what he knows is that the wrong crowd will always have an adverse effect on you, always. And so the Apostle Paul picks up the theme of Proverbs in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. And he says strongly, do not be deceived Bad company ruins good morals. It's what I call the law of bad influence. The law is good people won't make bad friends good. Bad friends will make good people bad. That's what he's saying here. Solomon and Paul, it's as certain as the law of gravity. And I love the way Pastor Chuck Swindoll illustrates this when he talks about white gloves and mud. He says, mud will make the gloves muddy, but the gloves won't make the mud glovey. Do you get that? This is the truth here. But still there's something inside of us after we hear it from Proverbs and after we hear it from Paul and Chuck Swindoll. We're going to say, the law doesn't apply to me. It's not going to hurt me to have friends like this. Or I will never let them adversely affect me. Or maybe I'll be a good influence on them. That's all foolish thinking. That's why Paul says, do not be deceived. No one is an exception to that law. You might be asking, well, do I never get around anybody who's a bad influence? I'm very slow to answer this because I don't want to give you a little bit of leeway here. The answer is, no, there are times you have to be around people of bad influence. You go to school with them sometimes. Or they might be in your neighborhood, or they might be online, or they might be at work, or they might even be in the church. What do you do when you know you're around people of bad influence in you, at work or wherever? Yeah, you talk to them, you acknowledge their presence, you're kind to them, you pray for them, and uh, you, you might eat lunch at the lunch table with them or whatever. But here is the truth of Solomon. You don't make the wrong crowd your hangout friends. Do you see the difference? Shake your head if you do. Okay. You can be around them in a kind of a casual way, but they can never become your hangout friends because that's the point where they begin to infect you. And by the way, what I just said about hangout friends in the wrong crowd, goes for dating as well. If you date someone who has bad things going on in their life, if you date someone who doesn't care about the wisdom of God and basically do not live by the Proverbs, I am telling you, they will bring you down. You will not bring them up. And so it's so important to understand the influence of the wrong crowd. And Solomon says to his son, his children, don't you hang out with them. They are, cannot be your hangout friends, which takes me to the last important precaution. He wants to come at it one more way in verses 16 through 19. you got to see, son, where the wrong crowd is headed. Where the wrong crowd is headed. Solomon does a really smart thing here in precaution number four. He does something that so many people sometimes don't do with their children. You know, when you tell your children not to do something, what's the first thing they're going to say to you? Why? Yeah, why? I remember growing up, my mom used to say, when she said to me, you can't do such and such a thing, my first question would be, why? And you know what she would say to me? Because I said so. 
Ooh, that used to bother me so bad. I decided that when I raised my kids, our four kids, when we told them, no, you can't do this, there are going to be some reasons. And we talked to them about the reasons. And Solomon is here. He's talking about the reason. And the reasons are in verses 18 and 19. He says, son, the wrong crowd is going to destroy their own lives. In the process of illicitly pleasing themselves, they're destroying themselves. And so in verse 16, they think they've got the world by the tail. They're quick to go out there and to rob and to steal and get stuff for themselves, thinking, boy, we're above the law. Nothing's ever going to happen to us. But they don't know two things. And these are the reasons why Solomon said to his children, look ahead and see where they're headed. Number one is in verse 17, the wrong crowd is oblivious to danger. Verse 17 says, it's useless to spread a net over a bird. Why? Because when a bird sees the net, it's going to take off. And Solomon is saying, these wrong crowd people have less than a bird brain because they can't see what the bird sees. If they could see what the bird sees, they wouldn't do it. And so they fly into the net, which is the second thing that he's talking about. Verse 18, they set their own trap. And he said, when they go against somebody and they hurt them, in the end, they're going to hurt themselves. And sometimes, he says in verse 19, it's to the point of their own death. I mean, this is serious stuff. And so Solomon pleads with his son, open your eyes when those who are up to no good don't go with them, stay away from them, and understand something that they don't understand when they're out hurting others they're going to hurt themselves as sure as shooting. There was a period of time when I was young and I didn't understand that. But it came home to me so forcefully one night. I got into the wrong crowd. I was in high school. I hung out with them. They were my hangout friends. Uh, I was kind of shy and I needed some feeling of importance and acceptance. So I got it from this crowd. And so we went out and we started to steal and we broke into buildings and we found the beer and we got into street fights and we damaged some property on purpose and we thought we were cool and, and invincible. Now, I wasn't one of the major bad guys. I mean, I was too shy to do that. I hung out with people that did worse than me. But one night, when we were up to no good, the cops surprised us. Now, I lived in a small town of 4,000 people. And they were on our trail, and they were waiting to catch us. And one night, that's exactly what they did. They knew who was doing what, and they even knew our names. And so they burst upon us. And in our county, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, they had a detention hall called Montgomery Hall. They called it Monkey Hall for short. And when the cops showed up, they grabbed these guys they were really looking for, and they said, you are off to Monkey Hall, at which point suddenly the chief of police, Paul Huntsberger, came up to me, a big imposing man, and he looked me in the eyes. He said, Debtor, if I catch you with these guys again, you're going to Monkey Hall. I almost peed my pants. <laughs> but you know what? It was like a father talking to a son. And that encounter changed my life. And I realized that they were setting a trap for themselves, and I didn't want to fall into the trap. And you might say, you know what, that's an old illustration, and it is. Let me give you a fresh one. Many of you were talking about setting traps on yourself that you set for others here. They can't see that. Many of you ask about my son, Ben, and you know that he fell into heroin and he was in prison. He's in, a, he's, in a he's in a rehab facility right now. I saw him yesterday. 
I said, Ben, I'm preaching a text tomorrow where it says in verse 19, it says basically that uh, in verse 19, it takes away the life of the possessors when those who do things about bad to other people come back and then sometimes they die. I said, Ben, would you tell me how many friends you lost that you hung out with since January to Harrow? And he said, Dad, I have to tell you, there were six of my friends who died of heroin and overdoses. And they didn't see it coming. They robbed from other people, thought they'd been living, you know, high on pleasure. They're gone. And that's the message he's trying to bring to his own children. And so today, as we look at the stakes here, they are high. And there's a strong word coming from Solomon, both to the parents and to the children. Mom and dad, you've got to teach your children well. You've got to model the word of God before them. And to the children, they're saying, listen to your mom and dad and don't hang out with the wrong crowd. I recommend a good but older book in this connection. It's a book called She Said Yes by Misty Bernal. It describes in a modern day story, a reality story, about Cassie who went off on her own with the wrong crowd like Proverbs chapter 1. And her mom and dad did all they could to bring her back, only to lose her at the Columbine shooting. I think it's so important a book like this be read and talked over by moms and dads and their children. I want to close today with two invitations. I couldn't stand up here and preach without offering you a reset button. The first invitation is to moms and dads, number one, that if you've discovered in your own life and it's been reinforced today that you aren't doing the teaching and modeling in your home. You are not giving your children the wisdom that they need. It's so important that you push, push the reset button here and you make a change. And so I'm giving you that invitation to come forward and to do some action steps in that process. And secondly, in that invitation, if you're a mother and father and you know your children are drifting in the wrong way, to come up here and pray, and I will pray with you in response to the sermon, that you will seize the moment and begin to pray for your children passionately as they might be moving in the wrong direction. So that's invitation number one to moms and dads to push the reset button or to pray for your children. The second is to teenagers and young people. Number one is to realize that your mom and dad are there, placed there by God. And that they are there for your good and they have something to say. And if you've been kind of turning them off and a deaf ear to your mom and dad, you got the deaf ear to the wrong people. And somehow you're saying, I'm going to listen to my mom and dad like I did to the police officer that night. But there's a second thing for the young people. You might realize that you're with the wrong crowd, even now. And now you're hearing it boldly. And maybe in your face a little bit that you can't keep walking down that road without getting hurt. And you're going to do what I did when that cop scared me to death. Is that I made a change that very night. It's an opportunity for you as a young person to make a change right now. And spare yourself a lot of heartache. I'm going to ask you to stand. If the Spirit of God has been ministering to you as a mom and a dad or as a young person, to make your way to the front as we sing this song. And then we're going to pray for you. A number came in the first service, and maybe a number will come now. But don't let this moment escape. If the Spirit of God is speaking to you, it's your moment before the Lord. Why an invitation? Because it's so important. We're losing our children. They're to the edge of destruction. 
We've got to push back the forces of darkness and allow the forces of light to come and invade us in new ways in the church. We don't want to lose our children. You come as we sing. glad to see so many parents here. Young people, if you need to challenge and come, we're still open for you. I'm going to pray for you. But also, before I pray, I think everybody up front here knows somebody in this audience, and I would like you to feel the family connection that we have. Folks in the audience, if you see somebody down here that you know, come surround them right now. Let them know that we're a team, that we're not in this alone, that we're the family of God, and we need each other as we need the Lord. So just surround these people right now with assurances that they're not in this alone, that God is here. In fact, some people surround me. I'm in this with you. And we need a team around us as the Lord surrounds his people as well.
company of people crying out to you for their children, crying out to you that somehow you would help them in this whole adventure of leading their children into the wisdom of God. And for those young people who come today, Father, I pray that you would continue to give them insight, that their eyes would be open to the truth of God, and they would not be caught in the snare and the net of the deception of the wrong crowd. Oh, God, I lift them up to you. I'm so grateful for this outpouring today in this congregation because the stakes are so high. And we look out in the world, we read the newspaper, and we're losing a generation. We're losing our children. But yet, we're going to stem the tide. It's on the word of God. And moms and dads in the house and children understanding that God's way is right. And so, God, give us the strength we need, the insight we need, the support we need, and the courage we need to leave this place pushing that reset button and asking you to lead us in the paths of righteousness. In the name of Christ, I pray.